0: Amen. Thanks, honey. Good job on the notices, by the way. Thanks. Well, good morning, everybody. I'm Johan, one of the leaders here. It's a privilege for me to be sharing a few thoughts with you this morning. Um, thanks, Julianne, for what you shared and Kate. Um, really awesome. That's essentially what I'm saying, but I'm just going to take a long and convoluted way to say that what they've already said. Um, so just nod and smile, humor me this morning. That is how the Holy Spirit works, that's correct. Uh, we've got a lot of babies, you've noticed that recently. We've had a lot of um, babies in the last year, which is awesome. There's one over there, yay, baby! And, uh, and it, it reminded me of this story I've heard, you may have heard this, but um, I'll read it out. It's called Life After Delivery. In a mother's womb there were two babies. Uh we, have, we had twins here as well, so um, they're not here this morning, I don't think. One asked the other, do you believe in life after delivery? The other replied, why, of course. There has to be something after delivery. Maybe we are here to prepare ourselves for what will be later. Nonsense, said the first. There is no life after delivery. What kind of life would that be? The second said, well, I don't know, but there will be more light than here. Maybe we'll walk with our legs and eat from our mouths. Maybe we'll have other senses that we can't understand now. The first replied, that's absurd. Walking is impossible, and eating with our mouths, ridiculous. The umbilical cord supplies nutrition and everything we need, but the umbilical cord is so short that life after delivery is to be logically excluded. The second insisted, well, I think there is something, and maybe it's different than it is here. Maybe we don't need this physical cord anymore. The first replied, nonsense. And moreover, if there is life, then why has no one ever come back from there? Delivery is the end of life, and on the after delivery, there is nothing but darkness and silence and oblivion. It takes us nowhere. Well, I don't know, said the second, but certainly we will meet mother, and she will take care of us. The first replied, mother? You actually believe in mother? That's laughable. If mother exists, then where is she now? The second said, well, she's all around us. We're surrounded by her. We are of her. It is in her that we live. And without her, this world could not and would not exist, said the first. Well, I don't see her, so it's only logical that she doesn't exist. To which the second replied, sometimes when you're in silence and you focus and you really listen, you can perceive her presence and you can hear her loving voice calling down from above. Neat little story, isn't it? And it's, uh, it's all the more poignant. We farewelled one of our family members this week, um, the beautiful Heather, uh, who'd been battling uh, for a long time against cancer. and She went to be with Jesus. And there's a lot that we don't understand about that process. And it's okay to have questions in that time. Uh, but it does drive home the fact that we live with limited understanding, and that's just the way it is. And, uh, and if you do live with limited understanding, then you can get along to the theology class that Russ has been running and uh, he'll answer all of your questions uh, because he's just, he, he knows all the questions, he knows all the answers. Uh, no, actually in, in seriousness, if he runs it again, I do encourage you to get along to it if you haven't been because it's not that he knows all the answers, but he encourages you and shows you how to find out what the Bible says about the thing that you're asking about. Because at the end of the day, the Bible is the only objective truth that we have. And so therefore, that's our guide. And uh, I encourage you also, as we investigate what the Bible says this morning, leave behind your presuppositions. It's a big fancy word to the things which you may have grown up with or someone told you once or some sort of tradition that has got a hold in your life. Let the truth be the truth and the truth is in the Word. Now, speaking of the Word, in John 14, 6, it says this, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's a pretty simple statement, but it's also a pretty powerful statement. And it's essentially what Julianne was saying this morning, that Jesus is in charge. He's the boss. He is um, reigning over every area in your life. But he says three things, Jesus. He says he's the way, the truth and the life. So we're going to have a look at those three things this morning and see what they mean for us. Now, how is he the way? Well, I'm glad you asked. I'm about to tell you. Who's heard of the straight and narrow? You've got to stay on the straight and narrow. Isn't that? It's good advice, isn't it? Yep, you've got to stay on the straight and narrow and, and if you don't want to deviate from the straight and narrow because what happens then? Get lost, you get in trouble. So this straight and narrow theology and, and doctrine means that w- once we get saved, we have, to, we have to walk this narrow path and make sure we behave ourselves because we have to stay on the straight and narrow. It's about discipline. But what does the Bible actually say? Matthew 7, verse 13 This is where the the passage, uh, the the straight and narrow theology comes from. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. And the next verse, because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Well, how does that lead to the straight and narrow idea? Because in the old King James, the word narrow, uh, can we just leave that verse up? Thanks, Marnie. In verse 14, the word narrow is... Straight, S-T-R-A-I-T. Not straight as in a direction, but straight as in a narrow passage between two headlands. A a constriction, a a wide area, and then it constricts, and it goes into a wide area again. That kind of straight. Difficult could also be translated as confined. Confined. And it's difficult in the sense that there's a squeezing, or something being constrained, as a, a strait of water, like if you go caving, if you're one of those crazy people, and deep down in the bowels of the earth, and there's like this tiny little gap, and you, and it's difficult because you've got to like squeeze through. Oh, how could you do that? Terrible. <laughs> So we have this idea that we have to stay on the straight and narrow and that talks of this journey that we make after salvation but the passage it comes from is is not talking about that. That passage it comes from is talking about the moment of salvation. It's not talking about a life journey but a moment of transformation into salvation. It's the same thing as being born and that's why we talk about being born again. You can't stay halfway when you're getting born. You you can't be in the womb and out of the womb. You're either in or you're out. Something is bad if you stay halfway through. (laughs) So I'm told. (laughs) And it's the same for us. You can't be half saved. You're in or you're out. In or you're out. And just like being born, the gate to being born again, like it says in that passage, is narrow. It's so narrow, it's only the width of one person and his name's Jesus. He is the only way. The gate to destruction is wide because there are many ways. There is only one way to salvation. His name is Jesus. If you don't know him this morning, you can. He is the gate. It's interesting the word gate uh, in Greek is "poule," and it means Gate. Yeah, happy uh, I gave you that extra little bit of information there. Um, it's, it's referring to the kind of gate that opens into a wide area. And that gives you some idea of what it is like to walk in the kingdom. You think of the gate to a, a place like City Park. is coming up. When we go to festivali a whole citywide um, group of people squeeze down and they enter the gate and then once they're through the gate, it opens up again. And that's the life that... Jesus has for you once you're saved. So we transition from one reality to the next. In Isaiah 43, uh, verse 16, it says this, "'Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea "'and a path through the mighty waters, "'who brings forth the chariot and horse, "'the army and the power, they shall lie down together, "'they shall not rise, they are extinguished, "'they are quenched like a wick. "'Do not remember the former things, "'nor consider the things of old. "'Behold, I will do a new thing.'" Now it shall spring forth, shall ye not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The beast of the field will honour me, the jackals and the ostriches, because I give waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my people, my chosen. This people I have formed for myself, they shall declare my praise. This is a story and it's a, an illustration of what the Israelites did when they left Egypt. They were living bound up in slavery, under the God of the world, gods of the world. And they entered through a place of restriction, constriction, through the Red Sea. They couldn't go to the left or the right. They had to pass through into a place of relationship and walking with God. So it's a picture of our salvation. They moved from slavery and oppression into a new thing. They're doing a, doing a new thing. It's trusting and following God. So in verse 18, it says, do not remember the former things nor consider the things of old because when you get saved, you're being saved into something new. There's something new for you. And in verse 19, it says, I will do a new thing and it shall spring forth, shall you not know it. We are to be sustained in this new life by the Holy Spirit. God will make a way, in the, a road in the wilderness because He makes a way where there is no way for you now that you're saved. He, he brings rivers in the desert which means he brings life to those dead places, which Julianne and, and Kate spoke about this morning. So in the process of salvation, we receive Jesus and we're saved and then we start to learn how to walk with him and trust him. And this is what the Israelites had to do as well. They, they went from slavery and oppression and they went through and they were on the other side. Now they're in a new life and they had to learn how to walk with God and trust Him. Numbers 13, um, verse one, Moses says, or the Lord spoke to Moses saying, um, send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the children of Israel from each tribe of their fathers. You shall send a man, everyone a leader among them. Is that all I've got? That'll do. Um, (laughs) You get the idea. So they're on the other side and they've got the promised land in front of them. And the Lord says, go and, and send out some spies. And so the spies go. And, and if you've been around church for a while, you know what happened. Uh, the spies go and they come back, each with two different perspectives. One side saw an enemy that was too strong. One, most of the spies saw an enemy that was too strong. And Caleb and Joshua saw an abundance of life and favour. Two different perspectives. It's important, people, that we align ourselves with God's perspective. What does he see should be the same as what we see. You see, the people they were told not to rebel, uh, in, in verse 14, uh, sorry, chapter 14, the, this Joshua and Caleb were trying to convince everyone uh, to go in, and so... In verse seven, they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel saying, the land we passed through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. Come on guys, it's great. If the Lord delights in us, then he'll bring us into this land and give it to us. A land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord nor fear the people of the land for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. And so the people wanted to stone them with stones. Well, that's a reaction, isn't it? They said two things Don't rebel and don't fear And they did both And so the Lord could no longer lead a people Or create a nation who refused to follow him and trust him And the house of Moses were the only ones left Who were still following the Lord and trusting him But Moses appeals to God for mercy Because God wanted to start again He was going to say right I'm going to kill all these guys I'm going to start again with you Moses Moses hang on a minute which reveals Moses' heart of love and compassion for God's people, which is why I believe the Lord chose him to be in that position. And we see that throughout the story of Moses. But God agrees, to, um, God agrees to spare the people, but chooses to raise up a generation of people who have a lifestyle of trusting and following him. And in that moment, the journey became more important than the destination. They were about to spend 40 years in the wilderness. You see, God had taken them out of Egypt, but now He had to take the Egypt out of them. The Israelites passed through the Red Sea. They were saved out of bondage, but it was only the beginning of their journey. See, we're saved in a moment. We pass through that gate into salvation in a moment. It could be your moment today if you're not already saved. We're saved from our sin. We get to go to heaven, but don't forget, now we get to know Him. And that is a miracle And that's also the beginning of this process of becoming more like Him as we know Him. And that process is only completed when He comes again. You see, Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. How is He the truth? Well, His truth is speaking into our life, revealing things that need to change and transforming us into His likeness. We're born with our sinful nature intact. It doesn't matter what stage of life we get saved, we all have to wage war against our flesh, which is trying to drag us back into sin. I'm going to do now what no preacher should ever do, uh, and that is to read out the doo-doo passage. In Romans 7, 15, here we go. Let's all read it together. "'For what I am doing, I do not understand. "'For what I will to do, that I do not practise, "'but what I hate, that I do.'" If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good, but now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that is in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells for to... <laughs> to will is present with me, but how to perform that is what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do I do not do, but the evil I will not to do that I practice. Is that the end? Please let that be the end. <laughs> now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I do, but sin that dwells in me. Is that the end? Okay, we'll finish it there anyway. <laughs> so if you can make sense of this passage, uh, I'll paraphrase it. We, what our spirit wants to do, our flesh does the opposite because we know our spirit is, is transformed. And when we get saved, our spirit is, is made eternal and it communes with God and, and we're brought to life. And we know, we, we know Him and, and we can walk in this way, but our flesh still says, yeah, but I want all the, all the things and I want all the comfort. And, I, and our flesh is, takes a while for it to, and it's a continual process of um, beating the flesh into submission. That's uh, the difference between justification and sanctification. You see, when we're transformed in that moment of salvation, we are made just and that the guilt from our sin has been taken away. But our flesh becomes more Christ-like by a process of victory over the enemy, which is sanctification. We are being transformed in that we are reducing the dominion of sin in our life. So these... Israelites, they had the opportunity to inhabit the promised land, but they weren't ready because they required more process. See, God knew that the difficulties they were going to face in occupying that land required them to have faith in Him. So He was not being mean for making them wander for 40 years. He was being merciful because if they entered the promised land without the faith they needed, they would be destroyed. And we see the same thing with leaders who are placed in a position of authority without undergoing the process of building character, they crumble and fail. And that's why we believe it's always important to appoint leaders based on character, not gifting. You see, gifting-based leaders try and operate out of their own strength or gifting when challenges arise, but character-based leaders have learned to rely on Jesus, especially when the going gets tough. So Moses tells all of the Israelites, hey, this is the plan. This is what's, what's gonna happen. We're gonna build character for 40 years. We're gonna raise up a new generation who that's all they know to trust in God. And that generation's gonna be mighty and powerful with God on their side to take the promised land. And the guys uh, who had gone in to spy at the land thought, ah, well, actually that sounds harder than just taking the land. So let's just take the land. I mean, God said we could take it, right? So let's just go. And, and Moses says, no, that is a bad idea. Numbers fourteen thirty nine says, Then Moses told these words to all the children of Israel and the people mourned greatly and they rose up early in the morning and went to the top of the mountain saying, here we are and we will go to the place that the Lord has promised for we have sinned. And Moses said, now why do you transgress the command of the Lord? See, the Lord's doing something different now. For this will not succeed. Do not go up lest you be defeated by your enemies for the Lord is not among you. Anyway, they go up and they get defeated because the Lord wasn't among them. Who's seen that movie A Few Good Men? You want the promised land? You can't handle the promised land. Okay, cross that one out. There's no, unfortunately, there's no shortcuts to character. Sometimes we think we know better and we try and shortcut the process, but God is growing fruit in us. Fruit takes a while and it can take some pruning as well. It's interesting also, just an interesting aside there, to note that the reality that these spies spoke about the Canaanites being too strong for them actually came to pass. Because they were attempting to fight battles in their own strength. The Lord was not with them. Be careful what you agree with, because it often comes to pass. Agree with God's truth. Hebrews 12, verse 12. Therefore strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. As we go through life and we build character and we experience things and we go through seasons which are difficult, we experience victory and growth in our life through the process. And it is our responsibility as a body to make paths for those who are lame to be healed. You see, if you've called yourself added to this church, And it's so exciting to see every time we we do an added, um, how many people stand up here and say, yes, Jesus is calling me here to make this church my home. Well, guess what? There's a reason why you're here. If Jesus has added you here, then there's a reason why he wants you here. Because Jesus adds to his church. You see, there's areas in your life, if you've been added, that God has given you strength or victory over, which has often been born out of a season of hardship, that you now get to make paths for other people who are struggling through those same places that the Lord has led you through. Psalms 23 verse four says this, for even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You see, this verse is spoken from a place of victory. If you have walked through the valley, then find people, have a look around, see who else is in the midst of it still and encourage them. Don't fear, Jesus is with you. Keep moving, you can do it, come on. You see, we're all called to minister. It's not um, Tim's job or Steve's job or the upfront leaders. If you've felt added to this church, we're relying on you. Like Russ mentioned a few weeks back, if you're looking for a church where you sit and receive, don't add yourself here. Oh, he said it in a nice way. But maybe, maybe you are undergoing a process and we've, we've had this word spoken over our church and it's still a mandate for us as, as we um, move forward that, we, that people who have felt that they are dry bones are being brought back to life. And if you're in that process, that's okay. But guess what? Even in that process, other people can be encouraged from your testimony. And that's a quick plug there. Then if you don't know how to give your testimony, get along to the testimony workshop. <laughs> there you go. But if you don't feel you can, say, so, oh, I can't minister. Well, that's all right. None of us can minister in the way that Jesus can minister. Thankfully, he lives inside of us. So Jesus is the way, he's the truth, and he's also the life. How is he the life? Well, let's have a look at what happened to Peter when he walked on water. This is such a good story. They're in the boat. They see this dude walking on the lake in the distance, and they're like, oh my goodness, who's that in the distance? Is it a ghost? And then they and Jesus is like, No, I'm not a ghost. Come on, come out. Um, it's just me. And, and Peter said, well, if it's you, call me out there. And Jesus says, okay, then come on out. And Peter gets out of the boat and he walks on the water. And then he looks down and goes, what am I doing? This is not logical. This is not normal. And he, what happens? No, you, you're jumping ahead, Paul. You're too, you're too clever. He starts he sinking. Starts And then we'll have a look at um, verse 31. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him. Immediately. He didn't wait till he dunked up and down a few times (laughs) just to teach him a lesson. He grabbed him. But you notice what he didn't do. And this is sometimes what we want Jesus to do. We want Jesus to pick us up and go, oh, good job. Well done for trying. They're there. Let me carry you back to the boat. Let me lay you down. Oh, it was such a good job. You almost had it, but you just lay here now. He didn't do that at all. And sometimes we want that in the midst of our pain, don't we? We want him just to say, they're there. It's going to be okay. But he says, hey, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? In fact, what he's saying there is, just keep focused on me. Keep your eyes fixed on me keep your eyes fixed on me, we will get through this, saves him. And guess what, Peter walks back to the boat. He overcomes, he walks through the challenge because he keeps his eyes fixed on Jesus. Who knows that that Bible, it's probably on your mum's fridge, the footprints in the sand uh, story. It's not theologically correct because He wants us to walk through and overcome things that are in our lives. He wants us to walk through so that we will be made stronger. In doing so, we have to keep our eyes on Him. The only reason why there'd be a single pair of footprints in the sand is because we're following exactly behind Jesus. And I know it's not always what we wanna hear because sometimes we're hurting or in pain and we look to find things that justify our pain and make us feel comfortable in our pain. Uh, I broke my arm when I was a kid. Now, what I didn't do is just, I went to see the doctor and and they didn't just say, well, here's some painkillers that will help with the pain. See you later. And then I'd have to take painkillers for the rest of my life and I wouldn't be able to use my arm, but I wouldn't have any pain. So maybe that's just a happy medium. No, the doctor's like, right, we're gonna to have to reset this and that hurt more than breaking it. And so he reset my arm and I endured the pain because I knew it was part of the process of healing and now I have two arms to use and no pain. When we ask Jesus to take away our pain, sometimes he actually says, no, there's something that's causing the pain and I wanna deal with the root cause. Because unless we deal with the root cause of that pain, all we do is learn how to live with and manage the pain. You see, the arm was broken for just a season. Um, We had um, the lovely Anne sitting over there. She had a a beautiful testimony in our home group just last um, fortnight that she feels she's moving from a winter season into a spring season. And when you're in the midst of winter, it seems like it can go on forever, doesn't it? We get to sort of September, and say, like, oh, winter's never gonna end. But look now, it's spring. It did, it ended. And so when you're in a season, it will come to an end. Springtime is just around the corner. So if you find yourself with recurring difficulties or pain and can't seem to get a breakthrough, maybe, just maybe, you're treating the symptoms. Let's bow our heads. Jesus, we thank you that you are the way, the truth, and the life. If there's areas in our life where we feel that we just can't get breakthrough, would you show us right now even what is the root cause? Because we know you want us to be free. You're not into pain management. You're into healing. You're into freedom. Jesus, I also ask that you encourage those who are going through those times, those seasons where it's difficult, that you would open their eyes to who else needs to hear their testimony of struggle and victory, even the small victories as they they, uh, go through those times, that they can be an encouragement to others. And I pray for those who haven't met you yet today today they would find out that you are the way, the only way. Isaiah 35, strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are fearful hearted, be strong, do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. That means whatever the enemy has stolen from you, God will repay He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the dumb sing. For waters shall burst forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the way to salvation, the truth to set us free, and you are life and abundance. Amen. Right, we're gonna finish it there this morning. If uh, you want prayer for anything, then there'll be people here who would love to pray for you. Uh, Remember that the challenge for us is not just to be hearers of the word, but doers. So if something has been stirred in you this morning, do something about it. Um, Grab someone who looks spiritual and get them to pray with you. Uh, But otherwise, have a great week. And uh, just remember, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Amen.